Hello, it's episode 20 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today we've got an interesting one for you where we are speaking with Neil Shoney McLean, who was the founder of Scotland's first ever fitness expedition, SFN, back in 2013. We talked to Neil about how he grew the show and then went on to sell it before pivoting through his experience gained through promoting the show into digital marketing. And that's where this story really comes to life. And there's going to be a lot of applicable information in this for you. We cover three ways to grow your Instagram following, three ways to use Facebook ads, and why we see what we see on our feed, as well as hearing about some of the examples that Neil has had from that space, including his first ever client who he achieved 290 grand profit from 4,000 pound budget. There's a lot within this one. I cannot wait to hear what you all think of it. Let's get right into it. Yes, folks. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Canberra Conversations. And today we are set for an interesting conversation with Mr. Neil Shoney McLean, digital marketing consultant and coach. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Colin. Delighted to have got you on and aligned our diaries because you're across there in New York and the other side of the world. And uh, we've managed to, to get everything in place. And I guess that's the beauty of the, the kind of role that you do, Neil, where you're remote online business, coaching, consulting people can be done really from anywhere um, across the world, wherever your, uh, your, your diary takes you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, I live out here officially now. Well, as official as, as it can be at the moment, whilst I'm just in that final stage of, uh, of green card visa applications. And um, yeah, well, everything kicked off whilst I was over here during COVID-19 at the end of my allowance right now so I have to jump on a flight on Monday back to London so um yeah so hopefully that goes all right yes we've managed we've managed to squeeze this in before then with with all good podcasts Neil give us a little bit of a background on yourself for the listeners that perhaps haven't um heard about you or know about what you do at the moment which in the Scottish fitness scene a lot of people will have already well Right now, I'm a digital marketing consultant and coach. I, I coach closely um, over 200 uh, business owners now uh, on Facebook ads, email marketing, and social media to generate leads, booked calls, applications, and sales. Uh, however, it didn't really start out as a marketing coach. Uh, I was in Aberdeen University. I studied sport and exercise science, uh, but I always had the intention of starting my own business and a, and a really big one at that as well. And so as soon as I graduated, I decided to launch Scotland's biggest ever health and fitness exhibition, SFN Expo, um, with no money, no investment, didn't come from money, <laughs> anything like that. So we started it up in the most ridiculous way possible, which was sell a stand or sell a ticket and then give that money to the person who is giving you the most hassle. Um, to get all the way to getting that first show up and running. But uh, maybe about three, four months into the process, we had signed our lives away for hundreds of thousands of pounds of expenses, having not sold a single ticket or a single stand. We thought everybody was just going to jump at it because, you know, the idea's in your head, why wouldn't they? 
and got on the phone and started trying to sell exhibition stands and it turned out to be difficult. So it turned out to be difficult to get companies that were based down in Birmingham, London, to not only look at the price of a stand, but the price of travel, staffing, food, and everything associated with it. So it was a big learning curve there. But the biggest issue was, you know, neither of us were marketers. And like business in this day and age, even when this was, I don't know, eight years ago now or something, like business is marketing. It's your ability to market the ideas that are in your head, right? And so three months in, having sold no stands, pulling our hair out, literally stressed out of our nuts, we turned to, uh, to education. So we started going on marketing courses and marketing programs and, um, you know, online blogs, YouTube, anything we could get hold of that were new ideas. And right away, we started finding out about new things, implementing them into the business, and it transformed everything. What it actually was initially was what people didn't really talk about at the time. I don't know if it was even a thing at the time officially, but influencer marketing. That was what got the first show off the ground, right? So we couldn't get anybody to buy a stand. Um, the demand for tickets coming online obviously wasn't high because there was, there was no show there. It was just a, a name and an idea. And so we went out to famous athletes and we offered them what we could, which was uh, not payment, but it was, you can be a headliner. You can be on the main stage at the main times. You can be on the posters. So it was a great positioning thing for them. And we managed to get like five great, uh, well-known faces that we could put on a poster, put that out there. And instantly we started getting the attention of the bigger brands. And as soon as we got the attention of the bigger brands, we actually got USN to be the first exhibitor to sign up. And then we had athletes on this side, we had an influencer within a brand on this side, and everything started to flow from there. Snowballed uh, from there in terms of that, had that credibility with some big names, like you say, to draw in other brands to say, oh, we should be doing this as well. It's that kind of social proofing, isn't it? Where if USN are doing it, we better be doing it and getting our supplements in front of our target market as well. Exactly. So their competitors came to the show, smaller brands saw that they were doing it. So that was enough credibility. And then when the headliners, if you will, of the the main stage and the meet and greets and stuff, when they were posting out on social media that they were really excited about coming up to SFN, then other athletes were coming to us to ask if they could be in the meet and greets, if they could speak on the stages. And so, you know, that influencer marketing side of thing came out really, really positively there. Um, Alongside that, one of the key things was social media, email marketing, and Facebook ads. Those three things that to this day are still the three things I focus on the most. And I went all in on learning Facebook ads to an advanced level. Uh, Social media, using organic to actually make sales and not just nurture an audience or build a following. And email marketing. So again, not just nurturing and romanticizing what email marketing is, putting it in a position where every single email would generate sales without just becoming a sales blast every time. So working out those things. Very soon, the the show had grown, it had become a success, and we had come out of our mass amounts of debts in the first year and become a profitable business, which was great. And fast forward about five years down the line, it got acquired by uh, Scotland's biggest events company, which was awesome. Uh, Somewhere in the middle of there, 
the word sort of got out that that I had grown this show in a really unconventional way. So the conventional way for exhibitions is radios, TV, billboards, magazines, newspapers, all like old media, if you will, right? And I had only used digital. I hadn't done a single piece of that puzzle otherwise. Nice. And uh, I would speak to the exhibitors who were quite often the owners of the companies or directors of the companies uh, during the weekend. And they'd say, how, how did you do it? Like when they realized that I was like a young boy that <laughs> was running this thing, they didn't realize on the phone. Um, they're like, how did you get this off the ground? I told them Facebook ads, social media, email marketing. That turned into within about a week of the first show, the or a week of no, it was a week of the second after the second show. Okay. Um, the phone rang and it was a friend of one of the exhibitors, and he said, "We've got a uh, a brand new gym opening. It's a really big council-run gym. Uh, can you run our Facebook ad and email marketing and social media?" And so I created the Facebook page. I created the the advert structure. I created the email database. And I was given seven weeks to go and spend £5,000 on Facebook ads. Or actually, it was £4,000 on Facebook ads. And, uh, and they, they were like, okay, right, so yeah, this is the thing. £4,000 on Facebook ads, but you can do email marketing, social media. That's all great. You need to create the pages for us. We haven't got pages or anything. Then it turned out they, they didn't have any photos because it was an, an empty room at the moment. <laughs> Um, so all the equipment was going to be going down just before it opened. So I didn't have any of that. I just had a cartoon video of what it was going to look like inside. Uh, but within that, that like six, seven week period, we sold, uh, from 4,000 pounds of Facebook ads, 297,866 pounds of membership sales before doors had opened. So a nice return on investment from <laughs> purely social media. And I guess that was you proving what you'd done with SFN in another environment, yeah. albeit linked fitness, but a completely different proposition in terms of selling exhibition stands and tickets to a, an expo to selling gym memberships for a, for a physical facility. Yeah. And I was so nervous about it initially because I was like, this has worked for me. Will it work for somebody else? Will it work for a different type of business? And the thing that actually pushed me over the line was, uh, I had just started dating my my now wife, right? And uh, and she's American, and she was studying in Glasgow. And at the time, she was um, she hadn't seen her her family in like eight months or something, right? And um, we were maybe a couple of months dating or something. And she was really upset one night because she she hadn't seen her family. It was like October or something at the time. She hadn't seen her family. Um, in a long, long time since the previous Christmas. And it like broke my heart. And like, I really, really wanted to, even though we just started dating, I really wanted to take her to New York at Christmas. And because it was just after the first year of SFN, we weren't taking wages or anything at the time to get that business off the ground. So yeah. I, I wasn't just flush with cash, just being like, right, a couple of us will just fly out to New York and it'll be great. And, you know, I didn't have that, that spare cash. Uh, by any means, right? So when this person came to me, I went online and I found out the price of flights to New York, um, like everything that I would need to be able to pay for everything in New York. And that's how I priced the job. That was your consultancy fee made there? That, that, that was it, to a T. And I said, um, I said, it needs, 
needs to be paid up front. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is going to be the, the fee for it. And it was a fair fee for, well, right now, I probably w- wouldn't, um, I wouldn't do a seven-week job at that price point. You know, so it was it was still actually a good fee for them for for the job and for the return they got was an insanely good fee. Uh, however, that was the thing that motivated me to to sort of get over myself and take the risk of going and doing my first campaign, and that just became a word of mouth business. And it That's was brilliant. like you've you cut know, your, you've cut your teeth there, Neil, and you've proved yourself within two kind of very similar sectors. Appreciate that, but ultimately. Now you say the word of mouth initially to get that job through a friend of an exhibitor. And now you've got a, a living, breathing, maybe not walking because it's a gym, testimonial of yeah. this is what I can do if you give me access to your social media pages and you give me the budget to invest in, in these Facebook ads. And one of the questions I had about Facebook ads, and I think a lot of people will have this is, first of all, what are the kind of main objectives that you have when you go into it? I appreciate you can tailor them to um like different demographics and where are you looking to drive them what does it look like and on the top of that why do i see what i see on my feed because a lot of my listeners will be in the same demographic and they'll want to know why does this pop up on my phone when i'm scrolling instagram or when i'm scrolling facebook okay right well there there's sort of three three buckets of demographics if you will that you can target with facebook ads then they get really granular within each one but the the three demographics are first of all your warm audiences so people can target people based on how they've interacted with them in the past visited their website in uh, engage with them on instagram engage with them on facebook and um, all of those things watch videos dm them like we can be super specific about the action they took but essentially they're warm they they know who you are they you know have engaged with you in some way the second way is interest targeting so you can target people based on interest and within their Facebook has, first of all, actual interest. So if people are interested in fitness, bodybuilding, right down to companies. So interested in USN, Cymex, MyProtein, like whatever it may be, yeah. um, clothing brands, Gymshark, et cetera. And then you can go down into that more granular level of what they call interest, which is things like job titles and things like that. Then the third thing is a lookalike audience. So you can create a, a lookalike audience of any of your warm audiences. So if I have 10,000 people who visited my website and when I target them with ads, I make a lot of money, I can say to Facebook, right, go and find me the top 1% of people in the UK who most resemble the people who already visit my website or already buy my products or already follow me on Instagram. And so that, that's the three buckets that you can sort of go down and target with your ads. Um, what you should be doing with your ads when you're at the starting stage, which most people will be, but if you want to go down the starting stage of Facebook ads and trying to get success very quickly, I teach a thing called the, the Shoney 135 method, right? Okay, so, here we go. <laughs> so the 135 method is something that anybody can get up and running within a couple of hours. And it's got a hugely high uh, success rate. So right off the bat, it's not the most advanced thing you can do, but it's streets ahead of what most people would do on their own and gives a really high percentage of success, right? Okay. Quite simply, it's you take your compelling offer. That's the first thing. Every single Facebook ad, the success of it will be largely based upon how good the offer is. 
do you just think that people should buy your product because they should buy your product and you're amazing? Or have you actually got a way of articulating it into what is a compelling offer? Is it because there's a certain amount of spaces? Is it because the, the offer's ending? Is it because it's discounted? Is it because um, you know, you're adding something on today? Something that makes it compelling and why somebody would take action today yeah. and not a week from now. Because otherwise everybody will go, that's really interesting, I might do that one day. So if you want to get results on your Facebook ads, you need to tell them why they would take action today. Uh, but with the 135 method, we're quite simply, instead of targeting one audience, we're targeting the equivalent of you know, all three that we're talking there individually. So we're not just saying to Facebook, target anybody. We're breaking it into three audiences and we're saying, spend roughly the same amount of budget on each and let's see what works. So instantly you're going from one chance of success to three. So this is your litmus test, Neil, in terms of which of these audiences of these three buckets that we've spoken about are going to be the most responsive to this type of offer. And you're kind of... Exactly. You're testing the water. You're dipping your toe in a little bit. Exactly. And some people will find that all three audiences go off incredibly well. And some people will find that one or two of the three work incredibly well, and then they'll turn off the other, the other audience and they'll focus in on the audiences that are working well. Within each audience, instead of having one advert, we have a choice of adverts for Facebook to work with. And so that can be as simple as giving them five different images rather than just one to choose from. So you might not have to change all the wording and where it goes. Everything stays the same except for the images. That can be more than enough to give Facebook uh, what it needs to get going. And so right there, if I was to say most people, so 99% of people who actually run Facebook ads, they run one advert, the one audience, and they have one piece of creative. So yeah. one image, right? That's the one, one, one approach. That's the one, one, one approach precisely. And with that, you're given Facebook. If you're a good copywriter, if you've got a compelling offer, still a 50, 50 chance of getting you results. Yeah. Whereas if you have three different audiences and within each of them, there's five ads, you're giving Facebook 15 chances to go and get you the result that you're looking for. So instantly, and this is like, for, for me, I didn't even realize this was gonna be a big thing. Um, but within the program, what I did was I set up the 135 method live from hitting the green button, create ad right through to publish in a 37 minute video. And it's everybody's favorite video because it just, it makes it so simple to go and create what is a, a pretty advanced advert. Yes, that's, that's, that, that's brilliant, Neil. And I guess that probably also answers the question where I'm saying, why am I seeing what I see on my page? Because I will fall into one of those buckets because I've either interacted previously or I follow or I like things that would mean that I might be interested in that as well in a similar field or because I fit into a particular niche in terms of um, interests or age group, et cetera, that um, mean I'm a, I'm a potentially good customer. Now, that's, a, that's, that's, that's really interesting, Neil. And one of the other most asked questions that I imagine you get and I've seen from, from the content you've got on Instagram is, is growing a following. And even just from my own experience, people will always, not always, but regularly ask me, like, how do I grow a following in fitness? How do I grow a personal brand? And I'd be really interested in hearing a little bit about your thoughts on, on that because there'll be a lot of people listening to this that maybe want to have a few more followers on Instagram. They want a few more customers, um, depending on whatever their, 
their their product is. Yeah. Well, with regards to following, it depends on what you want here. Are you looking for an eagle boost? Be completely honest with yourself, because if you are, it's completely possible and you can absolutely explode an account by just giving the people what they want, even if it's demoralizing yourself, right? Which many do. In <laughs> in the pursuit of having hundreds of thousands of followers. So you can do that. That's absolutely something you can do. However, if your aim is to one way monetize your social media following, be that within your own business, selling products and services, or doing it from an influencer side um, where, you know, if you want to keep the influencer money coming in, you're going to have to make some sales at some point for, for the brands that you work with. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's not going to be good enough to have a fake following there. Um, if you're going to get people to actually purchase products, yours or somebody else's under your influence, you're going to have to have that influence over them and not just be there as something to look at. So it's adding value to the marketplace, position yourself as an authority and building that quality of following. And there's a few key ways that, that I like to share for, for building that, that following of potential buyers. Um, one key thing, this is if anybody uh, follows anything in the marketing space, uh, you'll have heard Gary Vaynerchuk go through um, something about going on to hashtags and commenting um, and making it a meaningful, meaningful comment. It doesn't need to be um, a long comment, but you know, just not a, like an emoji wouldn't cut it here. So yeah, it's got, it you see like, it quite. You see it quite a lot, Neil, where somebody just comments like "looking good, bro" or "yes, bro" or <laughs> "love that" or the female version is "yes, gal" and flames and stuff like that or or yeah. love heart faces. But I, I certainly, um, I've used this approach as well. So it'll be interesting to hear um, your own take on it. So. With that, the, the types of ones that you're talking about, that's probably not even been do it, done manually. Like that's probably through an automated bot as well. So it's like uh, you set up an automated bot so that it goes through uh, all the hashtags for this in the last 24 hours and it posts that every single time. Now, it's inauthentic. It doesn't lead to great results. And also Instagram and Facebook are savvy to this and it ends up to shadow banning and like things that just are not good sometimes actually account closure as well, which is terrible because uh, it's really tough to get an Instagram account back. But, uh, but with regard to this strategy itself, there's three places you can actually go and not just hashtags. So you can go into uh, hashtags firstly. So that could be, you know, if you're in the fitness space, you could go into the hashtag for Gymshark, for example, and you could go and find people if that was your demographic and go yeah. and say like, oh, is that the new top or is that, you know, or I've got that one or, you know, something that's a little bit meaningful, even though it's short and sweet. You can also go into location tags and location tags don't have to be cities, uh, even though you can use that. Location tags can be certain restaurants. So if there's healthy eating restaurants, yeah. you could go and, you know, find those. You can even Google search. You don't need to have been there yourself and go and find healthy eating restaurants, go into the recent posts for that restaurant and go and make a meaningful comment under that. The third thing is you can go into page tags. So you could go into the body coach, for example, yeah. and you could go into it, all the tags for this page and people are tagging him in the recipes out of the books that they've just cooked and you can make meaningful comments under there. The cool thing with this strategy is the majority of people are not there with hundreds of thousands of people following them. 
with tons of likes and tons of comments every day and you're going to get lost within. The majority of people get zero comments or one or two at the most, okay? If that's the case, a meaningful comment almost always ends up in somebody clicking through out of being nosy onto your profile. Now, you've made a little bit of an effort with them, but also on top of that, if your page is set up that you know it speaks to that demographic, I help this type of person get this type of results in 90 days or something along those lines, you can end up with new followers, you can end up with instant people going to the link in your bio and booking calls with you, people DMing you, um, it, it's awesome, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a really, really good method, especially if you're at a low following and you're just trying to get off the ground without doing the follow on follow. Another good one is you can go live with people. So if you go live with people, uh, whether it's on their page or your page, both sets of followers for the highly engaged with those followers will get a notification on their phone screen saying this person's gone live, even if you go onto somebody else's live call. Yeah, now, it pulls that, you both in, doesn't it? It pulls both ends in terms of followers. Exactly. So if you can go live with somebody who is you know, influential in your space, does not have to be a competitor, but they have influence over the same type of people that you sell to, that's a perfect fit for both of you to, uh, to be discovered by, by both sides. So doing that often is a, is a really strong one. And then thirdly is uh, tag people in your Instagram stories. So whether you're actually with them right now or whether you're doing throwbacks, tag people that are relevant in your stories and do it every single day. Because the majority of people who get tagged in stories, especially if you like think it through and you know like make it a, a thing that they would want to share, they're going to share it. And the cool thing with this as well is it doesn't have to be that influential person in your marketplace. It literally can be your partner, your friends, your family, because there could be people within those groups as well in their following that could need your product and service. That's a huge point, and I've had a lot of people follow me off the back of ending up on somebody else's story when maybe I've trained with somebody else and we put up a video together or um, one of the big things people regularly tag me when they're having monsters or if they're having like particular my protein products. So I then obviously get on their page and get seen by people that are tagging me to try and benefit from that. But I then share them on mine and people, if they then click on to um, Tom Smith Fitness, and then they see his page, like you say, you go on, it looks legit. It looks like the kind of thing that you would want to engage with and follow. Then you can get followers off the back of ending up on somebody else's story. And, and that third one is, is one of the kind of lowest entry points to reaching yeah. more people. And it's a, it's a very simple one, like you say. I, really, I know I, I really like that one, Neil. And I know in terms of when we're talking about that quality of audience as well, which you've spoken there about, like you say, you could end up with, hundreds of thousands of followers if that was what you were, were after but how many of those are interested in the service that you are offering or the products that you're promoting because like I say I could significantly increase my audience if I posted photos of my top off and my pants more often but <laughs> would they want to use the links that I'm posting for my protein muscle food or or gym passes or would they just want to sign up to an OnlyFans if I started that so <laughs> there's the there's the there's the there's the considerations you need to make and then from the coaching perspective, um, if you're not showing off the kind of results that you can get for clients or you're not showing the kind of um, supportive information that you can provide, is there any point in you getting another 50 followers who none of them want to buy? 
one of the interesting things I've heard you speak about before, Neil, is with regards to your own following when you made that shift from your events um, industry towards digital marketing. Would you like to share that with, with the listeners today? Yeah, so I just, the, the whole reason of why I went into coaching and every single program that I've created ever since has never been based upon, you know, what I wanted to earn or a lifestyle I was trying to create or anything like that. The reason I created the 16-week digital marketing program in the first place was purely because I had a word of mouth business. I didn't even have a website. I had had the same clients for about five years and they had never left me and I didn't have any staff. So I was every single week having people phone me, DM me, whatever, even though I wasn't advertising that I did digital marketing and asking me to run their social media and their email marketing and their Facebook ads. Every single time I had to say no. And it's not just the turning away a potential customer thing that, that was worrying. The worrying thing for me was, I remember the pain of being that business owner that doesn't have the answers of how they're gonna get out of this month and get into the next month. I also know the pain of having to work out for yourself, throwing money you don't have against the wall to see what sticks and losing a lot of it. And so what, what I did was I tried to create almost like a download of every single process I use for email marketing, social media, Facebook ads, content marketing, literally everything across the board, website, growth hacks, SEO, everything I possibly do, I put into to a course and um, that was yep. trying to be as applicable to, to any small and medium sized business owner that runs their own marketing. Um, but when, when I decided to do that, I realized that I couldn't just focus on creating this incredible program, which was going to take a ton of work just to have it on the back burner for, you know, when inquiries come in. Yeah. So I was like, right, so I need to go down what I already knew was personal branding. So I need to go personal brand. I need to um, add value to the marketplace. I need to build a little bit of a following of the right people. So the quality over quantity. Uh, so I went through, you know, everything we were just talking about there other than live video really at the time. Um, so I was tagging people a lot. I was using, um, I, I was going into hashtags, location tags, etc., and just commenting. I Adding was value hashtags. in the comments and people reciprocating and realizing that you were an interesting chap. Uh, that's it. That's it. So I was going in, I was usually going into marketing books. So I was looking okay. for authors and marketing books. And whenever people were tagging these authors that I also loved those books, I was able to give really meaningful comments around those books. So like Seth Gordon, Purple Cow, I love that book. So I was able to like say like, oh, the, my favorite part of the book is this. And even if that was a bit of a copy and paste uh, sort of answer, yeah. it was relevant to everybody within those tags. And it would get people either responding back or coming over and following me who were business owners who were looking to grow their business. Yeah. And the funny thing is when I started putting out comment, uh, comments, uh, content even, sorry, uh, of you know images, videos all around digital marketing, instantly massive unfollowing. Like, so I, I had something like, I don't know, 1,500 to 2,000, somewhere in that region of followers at the time. But it was like friends, family, people I went to university with. It was people I met through um, running the exhibition. It was nothing about digital marketing there. And all the pictures were, you know, around my girlfriend and animals and, you know, just general life. So I started posting this stuff and 
Uh, it ended up in a lot of people unfollowing me, but I knew exactly what was happening. It was, you know, it was creating the, the wrong content for them, but the right content for where the business was going. And so I just stuck with it. So following was going down daily, stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. And soon enough, it's, it hit that peak where it stopped going down and slowly started to build back up. But it was building up with the right people. And I was just putting out valuable content every single day. And alongside it, inside my stories, I was just documenting the build. So I was like, I'm building out this module today and I'm going to be doing this and this and this and this. And then I would always just do an Instagram poll at the end of each day, right? So if I was putting up stuff about building the 16-week digital marketing program, I'd say um, hit the button below if you are interested in getting early access to it. And I would have a bunch of people click the button every day. And this is like two or three people per day at the time, not a big following. So two or three people per day would click the button. I would then DM them and I would say, hey, thanks so much for interacting with the poll. Um, what I've got is an email list, which is a waiting list specifically for you guys, because I'm only going to take 10 people into the program at the start, uh, because there's going to be a lot of close contact for me as we build out your systems. I ended up with like, I don't know, like 120 people on the waiting list by the time it launched. Yeah. And all I had to do was send out an email to fill the first spaces. And that was it. Done. You'd, you'd slowly but surely just built the interest from the right people with the right product. And when it was ready to go, you had that audience ready sitting waiting for you because of the value you'd given through, your, through that correct level of content to the correct people rather than potentially flogging a dead horse. Because like you say, your following went down, but the people that were leaving weren't people that were ever going to buy a digital marketing course from you. So yeah. for the purposes of that page, didn't matter. Yeah. And the people that came in the door were people that were susceptible, but also willing and interested in, 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 in what you were offering. So even if 10 of those people joined and five of those people were a customer, fantastic, because it doesn't matter how many followers you've got if none of them are interested in, in what you're actually going to ask them to purchase from you. I would say I probably only had at that point 150 people who followed me for the right reasons. So I probably had about 150 people who were following me because I because I shared digital marketing tips um, and about 125 of them had joined the waiting list. Yeah. That's spot on. That's absolutely spot on. What's the main demographic of business that you tend to help? I know you're up to like 200 odd businesses that you, you consult to now. What's that main demographic? Are you still primarily fitness focused or are you very widespread now? So it's mainly experts, coaches, and consultants, right? So people who, you know, they can be an expert in anything. But if they have their own courses, if they sell online coaching of any type, uh, if they sell consulting of any type, and uh, even better if it's premium priced. So that's fitness trainers, it could be physiotherapists, it could be people who you know teach belly dancing, literally anything. If it's experts coaching and consulting, uh, they're the main demographic that I work with. So I've got all types of businesses inside the 16-week digital marketing program, from experts, coaches, and consultants, right through to you know drone pilots and uh, real estate agents. We've got plumbers in there. You know, we've got all types of businesses, uh, but that's the main type of person that comes to me looking for this uh, type of product. And it's because of that realization that I also created the accelerator program, which we were talking about before 
before this, uh, which is a six-month program. It's very close contact, so there's one-to-one -one calls with me, but it's just a three-tiered system for anybody with premium price products that they want to sell online. And we've got fitness coaches in there already, but we've also got like people that sell kitchens, right? Yeah. And funnily enough, the, the person who sells kitchens in his first 200 pounds of ad spend, he attracted 600 people onto his email list, first and foremost, but sold over 50,000 pounds of kitchens, right? From his first 200 pounds. So basically it's like, do you have a premium price product that you want to sell online? So even if you've got a bricks and mortar store, you want to attract people in to make these purchases, let's make that happen. Yeah, Matt. you can you can, you can use that online platform to, and the, we all love that term, funnel people into the right place um, yeah. to, to, to get involved. One of the things you mentioned there was email marketing. And I think that's often forgotten by a lot of people in, in, in my kind of age group where we think social media is absolutely everything. But I always try to remember that email was here when we had Bebo, it was here when we had uh, MySpace, and it's here when we've got Instagram, it's here when we've got TikTok, whatever happens next, email will likely, I suspect, still be here. What are some of your um, approaches to email? And we've had an interesting podcast previously with uh, one of our mutual connections, Chris Burns, where he spoke about what should be included within that email. So it'd be interesting to hear um, some of the approaches you've got with regards to email, Neil. So email, I absolutely adore it. Like absolutely adore it. It's, it's just incredible, especially it's, it's a bit like the social media following, right? So it's got to be the right people that are on that list if it's going to bear fruits. But if it's the right people who are on the list, then, you know, just keeping in touch with them uh, two, three times a week, uh, two or three times a week even can take half an hour on a Sunday night to write your emails and schedule them in. But every single email can generate leads. And you've got different types of emails in there. You've got... Um, you know, you've got the super valuable. So you're literally just in their authority status, you're building uh, no like and trust with them and position yourself in an authority that could potentially help them. That can lead to sales. You've got likable character emails. So you can actually be putting out emails there in which you're building the likable character that is you. Because if you're expert coach consultant, a big part of why they would pay you a premium price is because they want to work with you and not somebody else, okay? So there's those as well. And then you've got your high percentage emails. You've got those emails that are very, very call to action. They're very deliberate. They're very copy and paste. And they work incredibly well every time. But you can't use them very often or you lose the respect of your, your you list. Can't, you can't just keep right hooking, which would be the kind of Gary Vaynerchuk um, analogy there. And No. But there's an interesting one with that that I was pondering the other day is the idea of like jab, 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 right hook, which is, you know, in theory, and it, and it does, of course, work. So jab, 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 right hook works with social media. It works with, uh, with email marketing as well. The background I've come from is business owning, right? So I've been the small business owner who needs sales to come in. Every single time I allocate time, I need leads. I need sales to come in. And so the question becomes there with your social media and with your email marketing, you know, should I just be selling all the time because I need sales today? On the other hand, you know, you have the jab, 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 right hook and you think, right, so do I have to do like four weeks of emails in which I don't put a call to action to then, you know, try and make some sales on that final email and then, you know, please have an abundance of leads and sales at the end. 
there's a way in which you can do both with every single social media post and every single story post and every single email. Okay. You can nurture and you can sell at the same time. It can be subtle. So if you go into any of my emails, my emails are super, super valuable every single time. They're, they're something that a lot of people won't have used before. It's something that they can implement right away without having to massively upskill in any way. Um, but at the same time, even if I don't call them completely to action, I will usually bring it round into a story of somebody who has implemented it and got an amazing result. Two great reasons why. First of all, that is, you know, proving the concept to give them the trust that it's worth their time to go and implement it. Second of all, mass amounts of social proof in which I'll have a hyperlink there for them to go through to the sales page where they can book a call with me. Brilliant. So Brilliant. even if I don't ask them to book a call with me, a certain amount of people out of curiosity will click 16 week digital marketing program, hit the sales page, see about 50 different testimonials on that page and go, I'm interested. I'll book a call with them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so interesting. Neil. And like you say, there's, you, you aren't necessarily overtly selling there. You're giving value, but it's leading people down the path to say, listen, I should probably get involved in this as well from a social proof perspective. And we've yeah. spoken about this in the podcast. I've had some very switched on online coaches who use a lot of social proof with their Instagram and social media strategy. I've had some sales guys on the podcast as well. And a lot of my audience work like me in, in B2B sales. And um, they love when we talk social proof. One of the other things that I saw from your website is these testimonials that you just hinted on. How powerful is that word of mouth, but also that verbal video testimonial in terms of you gathering business, but also your clients starting to improve their own businesses as well? It's like everything, especially if you're in premium price products and services. If you're not selling a 49 pound automated 10 week program, and instead you're selling monthly online coaching that's 200, 250, 300 a month, you know, no matter how much uh, authority you build there based on your knowledge, there's going to need to be social proof somewhere, either it being testimonials of past customers, whether it be before and after images, or whether it be even, you know, images of you that are social proof as well, authority images in which you're maybe speaking to a large audience, you know, those sort of things are social proof as well. You absolutely need them to sell any high price products and services. You need them. And, uh, and for me, the more social proof I add to that page, the better. So when, uh, like you, you could say, well, I, I get this quite a lot. Like some people on the, the program will say, right, on your sales page, um, is it potentially too much social proof? There's, there's hardly ever really a thing there unless it's stopping uh, getting to the point. So if you've got a lot of social proof on the page, but people already are aware of what the product is, uh, a pain point that you solve, all that stuff, and it's done, the social proof thing is amazing. And it, it was one of the first lessons I learned in marketing, right? So I signed up to a marketing course like eight years ago. And the way I got sold into it, I hit a landing page. And on that landing page was something like 300 testimonials, right? It was just testimonial, testimonial, testimonial. And I couldn't scroll fast enough to try and get to the bottom of the page to see what the price point was and how I could get started, right? I didn't watch a single video 
But as soon as I got to the bottom, it didn't really matter what the price was. I clicked the button and I went and purchased. And on the thank you page, the guy said, hey, that, this is your first lesson. Um, the more social proof that, that's on a page, the better. And I bet that 99% of you didn't watch a single video because you saw there was so much social proof that you didn't even need to. And I thought that was absolutely genius. Like, you know, we can have three videos, we can have four videos, we can add a fifth video. But if you've got a lot of social proof on that page, littered throughout the page, it gets to a point in which there's so much social proof that, you know, they need to do nothing more than scan. You know? Why would you not? At that point, you're thinking, why would I not? It works for all these other people. And if those people are in your demographic doing the same thing as you are, it's, you're just like, I'm just going to move in that direction because that's ultimately what social proof is, isn't it? People that you can relate to that have achieved something you want through a particular means or service, you're thinking, brilliant. And it's the same even in my space with corporate insurance to large businesses. If we've got testimonials from a whiskey distiller and I'm trying to get into a whiskey distiller and he says, listen, I've heard this all before. And I say, well, can I share this with you who comes from your equivalent financial director at X business? And he says, right, okay, I'll have a look at it. Or even sometimes you can get agreement for them to pick up the phone to that financial director and they'll happily say, yep, Colin was involved in this about our program and this is what he did. And the guy will say, right, okay, come and see me now. So yeah. it, it it is it's absolutely massive and even at that level it's it's maybe just one bit of social proof but it, it's the exact same principle in terms of testimonial word of mouth reassurance that somebody like me has been helped by somebody to get to a destination i'd like to get to 100 percent, yeah are there any other kind of sales tools or strategies that you would want to touch on i know you mentioned scarcity in terms of um when you were hi highlighting an offer in terms of why you should take the, fa the Facebook ad at this point and why you should take action on it at, at this point? Well, scarcity and urgency work really well. Social proof works really well. Um, but the key thing is just attract attracting people in. Like if we're talking about premium price products here as well, product services, the key thing is just attracting the right people. So you end up on, on, on the right calls. The majority of calls that I'll end up on are, you know, people that are there, they're almost as a formality. Like, you know, they weren't really there for the strategy session. They're just kind of wanting to figure out how they can get started on the program. Yeah. That's it. And it means that I've got no stress going on to these calls. They're super casual. I just get to know them and their business and get some context for it. And then we get them started on the phone and, and their immediate access to everything. That's what you want with your sales process as well. And it's going to be making it super simple for people to, uh, to take action with you for the for the first time. Sorry, I've got a cat. <laughs> that, that, for, the people, for the people that aren't watching on YouTube, Neil's got an absolutely adorable cat. <laughs> the absolute best, but she's she's like a dog. She just wants attention at all times. So that's, that's Instagram gold as well, there, Neil. With a pet. oh man, it's great, it's great, great engagement. Um, but yeah, with with the sales process. The compelling offer is going to be everything for your ability to get somebody on a book call or can you actually hear that cat? Like honestly, she's absolutely losing the plot. Um, <laughs> Needs attention. <laughs> the, the, the compelling offer is going to be the thing that either gets them to purchase something or to book a call, consultation, appointment, whatever it may be. But the key thing is it's, it's who are you speaking to? 
is it are you showing pictures of your ass or are you educating the the type of person that you want to work with in your coaching services are you attracting people in with the right lead magnets are you attracting people in with the the content you're putting out there into the marketplace because if you're attracting the right type of person then the sales calls get a lot easier yeah. so the whole thing of you know um, objection handling and all this stuff I must be the worst salesman in the world my weekly sales are great I, I use no strategies whatsoever a lot of the time I get to the end of what we would inverted commas call a sales call and the person says so can you tell me more about the program so like I've got like no structure there at all they're just looking at how can I get started and it's because I attract the right people in so I yeah. speak to I speak to a specific type of person, I add a lot of value, and I put social proof out there to say you're in safe hands. And that's yeah. it. Yeah, they're reassured and ready to go because because of your track record and your offering and the value that you've given away for free initially. Because like anyone listening back to this podcast, if they're looking to grow an audience, there's that three sec three um three tool section. I mean, that's free information that people can action straight away look what's behind the behind the paywall as well there's even there's there's even more to get and i guess the last thing i wanted to touch on you with neil was as an online worker you will have to be productive working from home or working for whatever environment you're in with this covid crisis most people that are still working and aren't on part of the furlough scheme at this stage will have been working from home maybe battling with that productivity battle even if they're in a corporate job they've maybe never not worked in an office before where they've had to go in in business attire and be surrounded by their colleagues what are some of the strategies that you use to get the most out of your time working from home in order to service your clients but also improve your business so it's weekly planning and discipline so if we go for weekly planning i have a really simple structure every single sunday I get a pad and pen, I write down every single goal for the week, uh, and then I write down the biggest and most efficient steps I could take to make that happen. As soon as I have that, I know what my go-to tasks are for the next week, and it's not just fluffy uh, wasting time, right? So I know exactly what I'm doing throughout the week. Before I put that into when am I doing it, on what day, I put in exercise, I put in downtime, I put down all those things. The work goes around those things. So I work extremely hard. I work what I would consider as a lot of hours, but not as uh, ridiculously uh, long hours as when I ran events back in the day. Okay. So I'll maybe work like six, seven days a week, but five of those days I'll maybe work like 10 hours, but it's not 10 hours where I'm like half focused. It's 10 hours, 10 hours of focus. Uh, and then the other two days will be, you know, like two hours or something. It might be like weekends or days off for my wife. Um, and the, those things are just checking in with people. But with that system, I break up the day into chunks where it's like two hour sessions, three hour sessions, and they're like sprints. Yeah. And I'm getting the most that I can possibly get done in that two or three hour period. And the great thing is because I planned it, uh, uh, at the start of the week, I know that every single thing that's going to be on that list is going to drive me so far forward by the end of the week. One of the first things that I like the most about what you said is that you have your non-negotiables in there, like sleep and exercise and seeing your partner. Because if you don't have those kind of basic fundamentals in place, and 
I've got some upcoming podcasts on sleep as well. And obviously we've spoken a lot about exercise in previous podcasts, but if you don't serve yourself, then it's very difficult for you to serve others in the, in the long term. And it's clear that in order for you to have those 10 hour days where the 10 hours are productive and the service to your clients is top level, you're continuing to, to grow your business. You're continuing to provide that level of output that you're happy with. There needs to be things like that one hour gym session, that eight hours of, of sleep, that one hour sitting watching Netflix with or having dinner with your, with, your, with, with your wife, that needs to be booked in as well. And I love that that's a big consideration for you before you, before you even start. Yeah, well, that sort of 10 hours, as I'm saying, because it's focused work and it's work that is actually going to get to an end goal by the end of the week, I, I can spend plenty of other waking hours doing other things. I can take a full hour or more if I really want to, to exercise. I can spend three hours in the evening um, watching Netflix. I can take an hour to cook from scratch. Yeah. You know, there's plenty more hours in the day. And so instead of doing a 14 hour day where I'm like working for 14 hours, but it's half assed, you know, I can do 10 hours of focus work and probably get more done than a lot of people would get done in a week to move their business forward. And I feel great about taking three hours to watch a show on, on Netflix. Yeah. It's that kind of, um, discipline equals freedom. So the discipline that you have during that 10 hour day where you've mapped out exactly what needs to be done, as long as that's done, freedom, freedom in the evening or freedom the next day, whenever, whenever, whenever you choose to, to, to make use of that time that you've freed up because of that is, um, is absolutely huge because you work so much online. I guess one of the questions that a lot of people, particularly knowledge workers who are sat in front of a laptop, maybe with their phone beside them will struggle with is, is that element of distraction. And I certainly know that my personal phone goes out the room nine till 12 when I'm on my, on my work laptop in, in, in the, in the morning, because I just, I just know that I'll end up lost in the black hole of WhatsApp or Instagram or, 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 or whatever takes your attention. Is there any strategies that you have to try and maintain that focus, particularly given that you are in and around that social media space, which we all know is designed to grab our attention. One of the things that you're contributing towards as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I, I do some pretty simple things. First of all, I've got, even even at my off times, I've got notifications turned off yeah. for uh, for WhatsApp, for Instagram, for Facebook, for Messenger. Like I get messages from people when I actually go into the app, when it's a conscious thing to actually go and check the Instagram or um or check Facebook messages. So I get email pings, which I probably should turn off as well, but um but I get those. Everything else I turn off the notifications for. And for the most part, whenever I'm working, I also have my phone nearby, but it's as simple as turning it over and not seeing the light flash up when there's a notification. That, that can be all I need. And that's it. And that's like the dopamine trigger, isn't it? That light that flashes on, that's what it's designed to do. <laughs> to do. It's funny when you leave your phone uh, in another room by mistake, which for most people is a rarity, but the odd time that it happens, you then end up going like five hours without without thinking about it. And you go, where's my phone? And like you can't remember because it was like five hours ago. And then you realize at that moment that, hey, if this wasn't pinging and lighting up every two seconds, yeah. I wouldn't even notice it. Yeah, you don't get that FOMO. You don't get that fear of missing out on that notification and thinking, oh, I've got to deal with it now because it's going to be there when you finish. Like you say, most Instagram DMs, most 
WhatsApps are not super urgent. They can wait until you take a break from your focused work to then engage in it and enjoy yourself or give your all to that. Because quite often, if you are just replying to things sporadically, I certainly find this with my Instagram. If I'm dipping in and out, maybe I don't give the same viable response that I would give if I just had like a a chunk where I say, I'm going to answer these 10 DMs right now and I'll voice note and I'll video back or whatever and I'll give them a great answer compared to if I was just dipping in and out, sometimes I'll just send a a short message and it's it's not the same. And I think you're absolutely absolutely right in terms of when it's turned over and out of sight it makes a it makes a huge difference neil big time so i think that's been a super interesting podcast neil there's so much for people to to go back on there and listen to whether you are somebody that has a high ticket offering whether you're somebody like myself that works in sales or whether you're somebody that's just looking to grow a personal brand to then um drive product sales further down the line where's the best place for people to connect with you neil because i know we're we're in a couple platforms already together yeah, probably Instagram. That that'd probably be the best place to to reach me. So at Neil Shoney Mac. Uh if you dive over there, feel free to DM me. Uh if you want to get in touch about anything, that'd probably be the best place. Yeah, super Neil. I'll also link your LinkedIn because a lot of my listeners are uh, are LinkedIn advocates as well in the professional space. And I know you've got a, a popping LinkedIn as well, Neil. Thanks very much again for coming on. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. If you're with us at this stage, please take a screenshot, pop it on your Instagram story, tag Neil, tag myself, and I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.